The Koi Gig Pod. I then had to then fake an injury because I didn't want to tell people that I was pregnant until the 12 weeks gone. That's, it's mad to think of really, it seems kind of archaic. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. We're heading across now to Melbourne, Australia, live to the Irish reporter based in Melbourne, Catherine Murphy. Morning, evening, good night, Catherine. How are things? Uh, lovely to talk to you, Shane. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. Thanks. We've been we've been glued to this screen, uh, trying to talk on air around the Andy Murray win over Matteo Berrettini here, but. Um, as Adrian said this morning, I mean, when it, when he lost the fourth set, you're thinking, well, well, that's it. The tiebreak, uh, it's done for Murray because his body can't hack the, the fifth set. But he pushed on and a dramatic, dramatic win for Andy Murray this morning. Unbelievable. I literally cannot believe what I've just watched, Shane. When he went two sets up, I'm not going to lie, and this is a terrible thing to say. I said to my camera off, we're outside, it's 38 degrees after the bullet, and I said, that's going to go five. It's just so Andy Murray for this to go more than four hours, and it's going to go five sets. And sure enough, it did. Now, I didn't know that he'd also add in, saving a match point, a super tiebreaker. I'm so happy for Andy Murray because he's worked so hard to get to this point. It's funny, the other day, a photo popped up on my social media, uh, a photo from six years ago. Andy Murray was one of the first really high-profile tennis players I ever interviewed. And he is an absolute gentleman on and off camera. He is so funny. He is so kind to everyone on the tour. He's so well-liked. It's been such a journey for him, when you consider where he's been right here in Melbourne in 2019, I was in the player tunnel when he played that infamous five-setter against Roberto Bautista Agut, which he lost to the Spaniard because his hip was so bad at that point. He pretty much announced before the tournament that this might be his last, that he was looking like he was going to retire. And I remember looking down the tunnel and he couldn't even lift his bag up he was grimacing with pain but then when he came into the view of tv cameras and the audience he kind of straightened up he wanted his opponent to at least think he was okay to play then of course we had the retirement but not really a retirement because he kind of changed his mind in the post-match interview they played a big tribute to him and he was like hang on I might get surgery. I might come back. If someone told me that day that in 2023, I'd watch him play for almost five hours with a metal hip and defeat Matteo Berrettini, I just wouldn't have believed it. I can't believe what I've just seen. It's it's pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, four years after that 2019 Australian Open where you think this is it for Murray and he's still pulling the crowd through five setters at, at Grand Slams. And a fan favourite there too, I'm sure, Catherine. I mean, it's... It's a, it's a different atmosphere this year than, than the COVID years, of course, at the Australian Open. So I'm sure the, the crowd there were right behind him in the stadium. They were. They were going crazy. And can I give a shout out to the chair umpire, Mohamed Leani, and I really hope I'm pronouncing his name properly. I've never worked on any of his matches. He has this way of emphasizing every word. And when he said Murray. He said it real deep and the crowd started chanting along with him. I tried to count them all. There was at least 10 Scottish flags in the crowd. Then, of course, there's a huge Italian 
contingent in Melbourne and they were so vocal too. I feel like this five-setter has really brought the Australian Open to life because last night on Rod Laver Arena, yesterday, I have to admit that we were all a little bit flat because Nick Kyrgios withdrew. It was so sudden, Shane. I was in the middle of a bulletin, a 10-minute bulletin. He actually withdrew and did his press conference within 10 minutes. We were all so disappointed. Then last night in Rod Laver Arena, Iga Sviantek, who's been so dominant, the world number one, she went through in straight sets. Daniel Medvedev only dropped three games against Marcus Giron of the US. So I think the Australian Open really needed this five-setter and there's just such a buzz around the place this evening. You mentioned about uh, Murray, Catherine, um, limping after one of her uh, matches in the most recent years. He seemed to be hobbling a small bit after this one as well. Just looking at the, the draw and how it stacks up, um, I've watched the Breakpoint documentary, so I'm suddenly an expert in uh, Kokonakis. And uh, he's yeah. a high-ragged player, and, and Fognini, um, they're going to meet for the for the right to meet Murray in the next round. But having beaten the seed of Baratini's ranking, the draw really opens up for him now. It does open up for him, but this is the one thing that kills me with these Andy Murray matches. And that's why when he was two sets up, I was like, Andy, do it for your metal hip. For God's sake, can you just finish this one in three? Because you want to see him be competitive in his next round. Now, you saw on TV, I was watching him really closely at the end. I think, this is just me sitting in my seat in the stadium, that he could barely walk up to his chair. He was so good. He was actually, do you notice, I don't know if they showed it on TV, he insisted on cleaning up his area so the ball kids wouldn't have to do it. Like, picking up all the water bottles off the floor, it took him ages. But he did look like he was almost struggling to walk. So I just hope that he recovers well. Tanasi Kokonakis is a really interesting one. It's so sad, as you know from Breakpoint, him and Nick Kyrgios won the doubles last year and they just brought such an amazing energy to the whole tournament. Such a shame we won't get to see them in doubles, but that Fanini kokonakis match will be interesting. It's never dull with Fabio Fanini, that's for sure. So just even the fact that, that uh, Murray saved a match point in that game, just just quite extraordinary. Just quickly, Catherine, we're, we're going to bring you a quick clip here of, uh, of Murray speaking after the match. Clearly delighted at his win. I mean, I'll, I'll be feeling this this evening and tomorrow. Uh, but right now I'm just, yeah, unbelievably happy, very proud of myself. Um, I've put a lot, lot of work into the last, last few months uh, with my team who are here. Um, yeah, to give me the opportunity to perform on stadiums like this and matches like this against players like Matteo and... It paid off tonight. <laughs> it's unbelievable, really, Catherine, isn't it? I mean, like the fact that he's battled for five hours out there on, on court with his metal hip uh, against a player like Matteo Bertini, who at 5-4 had the game at his mercy. And as I said, Murray saving a, a match point as well. So to put that in perspective, it, it, it's, it's up there in recent years, certainly, with one of Murray's top moments. It is. This is a match we will never forget. It's one of those moments where you're in Rod Laver Arena and you know what you're witnessing. It gives me goosebumps to hear him talk like that. He deserves this so much. And also in that post-match interview, because obviously the winning point was a less. He said, you know, I got a bit lucky in the end. You work really hard to get that lucky. He's such a good guy. Don't you just love it when good guys 
have good things happen. So I can't help but just be so over the moon for him. I'll tell you, Shane, I often talk to the ball kids about who's their favourite player because they obviously are behind the scenes and they interact with the players all the time. And by the way, they sign confidentiality agreements so they can't say anything negative. But they always pick out Andy Murray and his brother Jamie as just good guys to deal with. So... I'm just so happy for him. I wonder where they'd rank uh, Nick Kyrgios on that, on that list. And it was the subject of my they next... They do love him. Do they? They yeah. do well, love that, him. That was well, what I wanted to ask. He's a superstar they... and he brings a vibe. You didn't get a sense from the documentary. One thing I didn't get a full sense of from the documentary was his relationship with the Australian people. Was there universal disappointment that, that he was out from a from a being on his side point of view? I'll give you my perspective of it, which is just one perspective. So I love Nick. I've known Nick for many years. He's always been great to deal with. I found him to be really good. You can only judge people on how you find them yourself. He's always been controversial and he is really polarizing. So to give you an example of how polarizing he is, I was doing a radio cross yesterday on a talkback show. And as I was speaking and talking of my disappointment and saying what a blow it was to the tournament, the text line on that radio show was lighting up with people saying, I won't miss him. He's a disgrace. All of that. And the presenter said to me, just so you know, this is the text line. But guess what? Those people would have still been watching him. Mm. He's so unpredictable. And you know what, Shane? I'm very grateful to him. He's made tennis more popular. He's brought bigger crowds to the tennis. I love the game. I want more people to love the game. I'm really happy that Netflix has given people an insight into the personalities because even more so on the women's side of the draw, because Serena's gone and Ash Barty's gone, we need to get to know these players' stories more so that we can really buy into them and support them. So anything that makes tennis more popular and Nick Kyrgios is king of that, I'll support it. Uh, what, what are you hearing, Catherine, about the Djokovic injury or non-injury, this hamstring uh, difficulty that we're, that we're hearing about? He's course going for a for golden year of, of Grand Slams. Is, is the reported injury as serious as, as people think or is it just a non-story? Do you know what? I'm afraid to even talk about it because I can't help thinking, Shane, about last Friday night when we were all watching that exhibition match between Djokovic and Kyrgios and we're all monitoring Djokovic to see how his hamstring is and we're looking on the wrong side of the net. We had no idea that Nick Kyrgios had been struggling, that he was going to withdraw. I know the tournament organisers of the United Cup were completely blindsided when he pulled out. So with Djokovic... To me, he looks really happy. And you saw him in that exhibition dancing around. That's not, to me, someone who is concerned greatly about an injury. No doubt there is a twinge there. And I don't think Novak Djokovic, some players, they hide their twinges more. And I think with him, we always see it if he's injured. And Daniel Medvedev kind of alluded to that in the way he was almost kind of saying to Djokovic across the net, mimicking him, saying, you know, come on, you don't need to act up when you have a a twinge. But who knows? I don't feel it's a huge problem. I really hope it's not a big problem because it's been great to see him get a great reception here after what happened here 12 months ago. It's great that Melbourne and Australia have moved on from that. 
Speaking of Melbourne and Australia, moving on from, I mean, those COVID years, even last year's atmosphere at the tournament and around the city, Catherine, I'm sure, I'm sure it uh, is in stark contrast to, to this year where there's back to the, the party atmosphere and the carnival atmosphere. How do you compare this year's tournament in terms of atmosphere with, with recent years? Do you know, there isn't even a comparison to last year, for example, because you know the way when you're in something, you don't realise that things are a bit weird. And of course, there was a cap on crowds for a lot of the tournament. But because there were so many fairy tale stories after what happened to Djokovic, which was a nightmare, you know, with Ash Barty, with the special Ks. It was a very special tournament, but it's now only that yesterday when the gates opened and it was 100% capacity. It ended up being a record attendance here at the Australian Open. I think there was about 75,000 people here in Melbourne Park and they're expecting a record for the tournament. Now, it'll be interesting to see if Nick Kyrgios' withdrawal affects that because he's not the only withdrawal. The tournament's also without Roger Federer, who's retired, Ash Barty, Venus Williams withdrew, Isla Tomjanovic, who is the top-ranked Australian female. And I think I can hear Tanasi Kokonakis going on to the court. Certainly no attendance issues in that stadium. It sounds like it's absolutely jam-packed. But there's no comparison. This is, I think, and... I'm probably a little bit biased because I adore the place, but I think this is the best sports event in the world, without doubt. And I've been to the French Open, and it doesn't even compare to the Australian Open. Uh, Catherine, we're looking at the draw then on both sides opening up. Um, a, f- a few surprise results uh, already, as, we, as we've already said. But Berrettini last year, semi-finalist, getting knocked out. Um, but already, Rublev beating Dominic Team as well, 6-3, 6-4, 6-2. <laughs> Uh, so some big names falling. Kasper Ruud, I know, is, is 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 out on court this morning around 9.15am or so Irish time, I think. Uh, and then the, the, the women's side of the draw as well. Iga Sviantek, one of the favourites. Uh, like, it's fairly competitive on the women's side of the draw. How do, how do you see both sides playing out? I suppose on the men's side, Djokovic is the man to beat. Yeah, for sure. Djokovic is the overwhelming favourite to win his 10th title. And we know how he deals with adversity. We know that he loves to... To really come back, when you back him into a corner, he's a very dangerous person to meet in a draw. So he's absolutely the favourite. On the women's side of the draw, Iga Sviantek is so dominant. She's been dominant for so long. However, in the build-up to the Australian Open, she was playing in the United Cup for Poland, and they were taking on the US. And she got beaten by Jessica Pagula, the American Now, Jessica Pagula is from a very famous family. They own the Buffalo Bills, for starters. I think they own some other sports teams in America. So from a very sporty background, she had played Iga Sviantek four times in 2022, and she never managed to beat her. Then she comes up with this massive win in the United Cup, an easy victory, straight set, 6-2, 6-2. Iga Sviantek, after that loss, What was most intriguing was she was sobbing under her towels. So she was asked in press, why were you so upset about this loss? And she said she felt helpless against Pagula. She felt like she just couldn't problem solve against her. She just felt like she was really outdone on that day. Now, I would keep my eye on Jessica Pagula. She had a really easy straight test win yesterday, and she's determined 
to have a good run at the Australian Open. But then there's Ons Jabir. You'll get to know her really well in the Netflix documentary. She's from Tunisia. She is so popular. She's been to two Grand Slam finals. And she revealed in a press conference yesterday that she has trophies on her phone that she wants to win this year. She wouldn't reveal which Grand Slam trophies. And it was Catherine Whittaker of the Tennis Podcast asked her that question. So she has big ambitions. She's so popular. She'd be a great story. But I just have a feeling about Jessica Pagula. Hope I haven't jinxed her because I'm rarely right. So apologies to Jess. Catherine, before we let go, I know you're uh, laser focused on the tennis at the minute, but I did want to ask you about uh, Eddie Jones. There's a couple of stories in some of the oh, English yeah. papers today. Uh, the Telegraph saying revealed Jones' secret 14 months of Australia talks. This story just keeps on giving. And then in the Guardian, uh, the RFU decided against inserting a clause in his severance package uh, about talking to uh, rivals for the World Cup for legal and moral reasons, so that the uh, the door was open to him. What's been the? I've asked you earlier on about the response, Nick Curious. The response in Australia to the appointment of Eddie Jones on a five-year contract. I couldn't believe this yesterday morning. This story was so big that we move our sports bulletins out to the tennis and I ended up leading with rugby, not tennis, on day one of the Australian Open. There's been a mixed response, but for the most part, a great response. Dave Rennie's a really good guy, I should say that. And there's always such a human side to this. I'm sure it was his dream to coach at a Rugby World Cup. And I hope him and his family are okay because he was so lovely to deal with always. But Eddie Jones, I believe, is what Australia needs right now. Dave Rennie has a very different coaching style. Now, the big story will be this year in Australia is how the players cope with that change in coaching style. So Dave Rennie is the sort of guy that's all about love and connection. I'll play my guitar for you. You know, he would literally have a sing song with the players. And then you hear the stories about Eddie Jones telling people, you know, to drink a cup of wet cement or sending cement to people's houses. There are many stories about how tough Eddie Jones is. So how they'll go from that affectionate love to very tough love is going to be interesting but I'm relieved I feel like it gives Australia a chance and of course they could be on course to meet England in the quarterfinal and I've been speaking to some of the BBC journalists and without stating the obvious there's no way England want to face sacked Eddie Jones in charge of Australia that would just be a prospect that they don't want to deal with, that's for sure. For the rest of us, it better happen. It just <laughs> yeah. better happen. Yeah, we're licking our lips at that oh, prospect. It would be so good. It <laughs> would be so good. I am hoping and praying for that quarterfinal, but the main thing I'm hoping and praying for is for Ireland to do well and make it past the quarterfinal. That's my top priority. <laughs> but second priority would be seeing that quarterfinal matchup. It would be amazing. 100% will be it will be absolutely brilliant so uh, yeah the build up to the Rugby World Cup continues uh, Catherine you've been brilliant with your time uh, thanks a million as always no doubt we'll check in again before the end of the uh, Australian Open Pleasure love to talk to you anytime have a great day Great stuff Catherine Murphy there Irish uh, journalist based in Melbourne Australia with, uh, with ABC Sports OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 